Um, raised in the southern part of India, so I'm a southerner from India, in the south, double love for me, okay? But um, uh, they believe Thomas came in the first century, doubting Thomas, and preached the gospel there. So they trace their Christianity all the way back to the first century. Now, we say it's a tradition. There's a place where Thomas was martyred with a spear, and there's a shrine where you can go visit, and it's a Catholic uh, monument out there. But... Uh, so, but he decided when he was in uh, seminary and then in, as a pastor, uh, and this is a beautiful tropical paradise back in the south. A lot of people go for vacation. Dr. Billy Graham, and just as I am, calls it one of the most beautiful pl places he's preached in. So I wish they had stayed there. But he said, how about northern India? We need to take the gospel there. And 55 years ago, they took this faith journey on a train three days and three nights. Now in India, you cross one state. It's a different language and different curry so they had to cross a lot three days and three nights to come to a place with less than one half or one percent Christians even today and the home of radical militant Hinduism now that will shock you right we think most Indians are peaceful and they do yoga and all that but uh, like any other nation India has this history of tremendous violence and the huge violence has been Hindus and Muslims since Pakistan parted Mahatma Gandhi uh, the father of the nation, they call him, was martyred by a fundamental Hindu who were a fringe group now in political power eight years ago and unleashing persecution like never before. Compassion International is one of the organizations that's very popular. Um, they were under investigation just as we were and we are. And in 2017, they were kicked out of the country. Imagine this, 48 years of ministry. 140,000 children sponsored in India. All of them lost it in 2017. They don't care. And now they have a stricter law. So the first part of what I'm going to talk today is going to be a short report because I have not been here and I'm asking for prayer requests and then I'll go into God's word, okay? We can never have a Sunday without the word of God being proclaimed and Jesus being exalted through his word. But, so now they have a, uh, uh, all of northern India. And now our work has spread in over 13 states, 18 to 20 years of hunger and hardship. Um, and now uh, God has blessed from coast to coast, all the way from the border of Pakistan, that's where the ministry headquarters is, all the way to the border of Myanmar, uh, is the expanse of the ministry. God honored my parents' faithfulness after a lot of suffering. But now they have a new and a stricter law. Uh, it says no conversion by allurement or by force. Now force we know, you cannot force anybody, understood. Allurement was giving food or clothing would be an allurement. You know what they did? They broadened the definition. Now, allurement means if you share a blessing, their original religion does not give them. Like Jesus forgives sins, gives eternal life. That's a non-bailable warrant. The burden of the proof is on the accused rather than the accuser. The accuser becomes a superstar, just like Paul, who was Saul, did in his day when he killed people. Uh, in zeal of Judaism, became, you know, he was trying to be the, the big guy. That's what's happening. So we are in a very difficult time. Three of our pastors, if you are on our newsletters, and there's an opportunity for you to sign up after the service, three of our pastors in March, after they passed the strict law, were put in prison. And uh, long story short, they were in a room like 18 by 20, 16 of them lined up, spent 16 hours in that with an open toilet, this pastor who came out of the military and you know, I had the opportunity of leading him to Christ and he's become a big leader, oversees over 500 churches, Pastor Nathan, he said, I would wish my enemy to go there. 
But here's, here's the good news, folks. In the prison, they shared the gospel with six people. And, um, and uh, they shared the gospel with many people, and six people came to know Christ. One of them was a guy who, was, who trafficked, um, you know, people, you know, women and children. So he said, once I get out, I'm going to quit what I was doing. Another had 35 crimes. In fact, the guy who uh, had the 35 crimes told Pastor Nathan, you know, when, I, when you get out of prison, please, please go to my family, go to my village and share this gospel. And you know what Nathan said, you know, I got into prison because of this. If I go, they'll beat me up. So he says, you don't worry. When I get out, I'll murder them. So now you will say, I mean, is he a real convert or what? That's where discipleship comes in, by the way. And that's why we need Sunday school and small groups. We need to be discipled. So that's been, that is the new stricter law. God even today opens prison doors, so we cannot give up. We have not given up on the persecuted church. But over the years, we have trained leadership, and that is the key. Ministry cannot be dependent upon a man. God chooses a man and uses him, but the ministry has to continue. Uh, and we have leaders that are taking care of the ministry there in the midst of tremendous challenges. And this year alone, we had 498 baptisms in India and Nepal. Imagine that. And today's morning's baptism was amazing. Great story. But these pastors in Nepal can go eight years in prison. In India, they can. It's a non-bailable warrant. And they are heroes that I... So what is my job? My job is to just be a spokesperson, a voice for the persecuted church. I'm, I have nothing. They are the special ones. And in heaven, they'll be in the front row. So... In this situation, please remember, uh, I have a newsletter here with uh, one of the, I think, the greatest woman I've ever, ever met in my life is my mom. 18 to 20 years going hungry to bed, sleeping on cement floor for most of her life, going into school with torn clothes and coming back crying, uh, running into arms. My mom was the angel of God that, uh, that comforted us and gave us hope. And the second surge of the deadly COVID uh, took her life. And, uh, you know, it's been a it's very dark days for us. The last three years has been tremendous loss because they were pretty much the inspiration, huge inspiration on this side of heaven for the ministry. So it's a great article. I would love for you to stop and take one of the copies, How to End Your Trials and Her Story. And part of it I'm going to share today, and part of it was witnessed by Pastor Shannon Scott, um, Jared's father, so I'm going to share that story. I cannot thank God enough for my friendship with Pastor Jared, your pastor, uh, Julie, and the wonderful family that they have. Uh, he's been, over the years, uh, been faithful along with you all, standing with us for the gospel. And right now he's doing something that is very important to us. He is giving, providing theological training to a group of people, a small flock in southern Ecuador, very difficult place. After the service, we have an interest meeting. As Pastor Jada told me, I'll tell you a little bit more detail with the limited time that I have. So this is in southern Ecuador, you know, Quito and other places. You fly into the big capital. Beautiful, beautiful country, by the way. It's one of the most beautiful places I've been in. And uh, I've been in 35 countries uh, and counting. And I'm, one of my passion is travel, okay? But Ecuador is absolutely beautiful. And most people do go to the big cities. And that's been the challenge of missions. We, we think the world has been reached. India has been reached. India still has an estimated 416 million people that have not heard the gospel yet. Same thing we think Ecuador is reached. You go to southern Ecuador and you realize 
It's a beautiful place, but like any other place, and more so, there's a darkness of sin. There's a version of Mary called Reina del Chesne, a um, kind of regional version. You know, they are syncretistic. The Catholic Church there mixes the local deities with Mary, and she's curly-haired, revered. In fact, I thought idol worship is strong in India, but she's scattered around in town, and they install her. And when someone comes to Christ and they're discipled, and they have to remove her, her idol, you know, they pretty much, some of them say, tell the pastor, pastor, you know, we don't believe in it, but we are afraid. Can you throw the idol? So that kind of fear, they're ruled by fear. And, uh, and there we have a small flock and eight people. We believe in discipleship, and that's our whole mission strategy. You know, we have sponsorship of children that you can be part of, but they're also, we call them raising heroes of faith. And uh, every place you need that. You, can, you are a hero of faith because we are living in difficult times. You know, things are happening in India. Things might change here in America too. You never know. Um, we are living in difficult, dark times. However, um, that is a place we've adopted. God always gives me a tough place. I was in central Ecuador and we planted more than 20 churches, trained 20 people who we asked to plant a church each. We constructed three churches. But, uh, I, you know, Kind of a lot of people are helping them right now. We wanted to go to the difficult place. So please, uh, we are praying that God would put that on your heart. Like Pastor Jared has taken his value, valuable time to train them. And many of you can come. It's a short trip, by the way. Makes it very easy. Unlike India, jet lag and all that. It's central time. It's like going to Texas, you know. But about five hours from Miami and four, four, you know, four plus and whatever time it takes to, uh, in Miami and whatever time you want to get out of Miami fast. But, uh, but um, so we are praying. Many of you would join and uh, we appreciate that so much. So before, I've got a couple more things before I go into the Word of God. Uh, like always, we have some children. One of the ways we plant churches is through children. That's our strategy. It's, uh, even in, in India, persecution, you cannot openly preach the Gospels. You work through, you know, providing free tutorial to children, bringing them home, feeding them and such. So we do that in India, but in Ecuador, God opened doors for this missionary couple there more than ever before because the children began to go back and share what they had learned and bring the adults to Christ. So uh, we have three children put out there and we have many more. Uh, we have about 10 from Ecuador that need sponsorship. Three of them, your pastor met them personally and uh, he has spoken to you about it and I've got them as the priority and the good thing about Ecuador and like India child you sponsor you can go there sometime and meet the child in person that's going to be really cool it's $30 a month um, you know one trip to Golden Corral if you ever go can help a child get educated and a pastor help they're all connected to our pastors everything we do is connected through our pastors now we have some pastors up for sponsorship they are $100 they are more difficult to sponsor because children look cute and pastors don't but, uh, but if the Lord moves your heart, uh, it's a tremendous, without pastors, without Pastor Jared, you know, what would Green Pines do? We all need pastors, right? And that's the missing link in missions. We think, you know, helping children or helping impoverished community, it is important, it's close to my heart. But if a pastor is not trained, if leaders are not trained, there's no continuation. You know, it's just a short-sighted trip. And Jesus Christ is coming back to take his bride, his church. That's why we do that. Before I go into God's word, here's one more thing I want to do, okay? So if I let go about five minutes over and your pastor has done in the past, so I have, I'll try my best to get, out, get you out by 11. I like early morning service. 
the Methodists have no chance to beat you, right? But one of the things I wanted to do, and I, I do in churches with pastor's permission, is I want to talk just a couple of minutes about America. Now, we live in very difficult times. I know there's a lot going on in our world today, in our political situation, social unrest, and all that is happening, even around the world, Afghanistan. We, we, we live in difficult times, right? And, um, and America is not a perfect nation. No nation is perfect. If any nation was perfect, Jesus did not have to come back and establish his kingdom, right? But um, this country is amazing. You know, one of the greatest kind of uh, nation civilization has ever seen with all our challenges. And personally, you can talk all about that. It's personal testimony that counts. God just spoiled us bringing us to America. Personally, I live in a home where others help me buy that home. I drive a car, and I, I told my board I cannot drive that kind of car. Or, or they bought, bought me a bigger vehicle because I travel so much. They don't want me to get killed. There's not another Finney with a tan, right? So we want to keep you safe. Um, so um, the blessings we have, and more so, missions. We have nearly 1,000 children that we're helping around the world. In Ecuador, uh, you met that girl, 11-year-old girl, raped by her stepfather. 40 to 60% children born out of wedlock. It's a broken, broken place because there's no shepherd to lead them. So that 11-year-old girl, she's not given up. She lives up in the mountains, you know, travels two hours to come to school. You know, she has a baby that lives with her grandparents. And uh, she's going to school, then going back two hours, helping with the farm because we are helping her. She's sponsored and her child. Both are sponsored right now through GCH. That's the kind of community that we work in. We can make a difference. We can bring the light. Over 1,000 children has been sponsored because of the generosity of the people of this great nation. So here, what, I'm, what I do is I you know, started as a worship leader for my dad, singing on the streets and in church. So I do God Bless America. If you don't mind, you can join with me and sing. And here's a big request, okay? This is an audition, by the way. If you know of a school or, you know, some ball team or whatever, you know, remember there's a guy who can sing the national anthem and God bless America. I would love to do that, okay? I just want to bless people. And so this is an audition. I've asked several churches to do that. Nobody has picked me yet, so please. <laughs> Here we go. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the ocean wide with foam. God bless America. My home, sweet home, God bless America, my home, sweet home. God bless America. Let's keep it strong. You know the greatness of America? Here's what it is. The greatness of America, 90%, watch these people. There's a lot of bashing going on. 
the problems we have in this nation is 10 times bigger in any other nation. Any problem you can say, social, economic, any problems. We think it's all America, no. 90% of every dollar that goes anywhere in the world comes out of this nation for world missions. That's one reason God blesses America. If that is the biggest reason, I believe. So this morning, I want to share with you a word, our final victory. We live in a world, as I shared, with so many challenges. And, you know, there are challenges in our community, but there are personal challenges, relational challenges, health challenges, financial challenges. We, you know, we've gone through a dark phase the world has never seen, the COVID phase, and hopefully we are coming out of it, and we don't know what awaits us in the future. In the midst of that, we feel like if God is all-powerful, why do we face so many challenges? Why cannot God just fix it like that? And uh, that's a great question. Why persecution? Why Christians are persecuted? And, uh, and here's my message from based on my experience, based on history, and above all, based on the Word of God, that we serve a God who knows the end from the beginning. Someone said, spoiler alert, we have the final victory. That is the confidence we have, Christians have, in the midst of everything that the devil and the darkness and the world can throw at us. We know that we have the final victory in Jesus' name. It was 1998, uh, kind of a crossroads, the biggest challenge the devil has ever thrown unlike the challenges we are facing today. Okay, so you are phases of challenges that you go through. The church was going under attack in India. We had, you know, one of the big things, like my parents, they never had invested any money in anything, any building or whatever, and then we had to because of good reasons. And uh, in the newsletter, you'll read about it, keep the ministry open. But in 1998, the radical uh, political parties was in power. One of the things we do is bring about five to 700 pastors and children feed them for a week, and teach them God's word. And it was Pastor Jared's dad's first trip. Pastor Shannon had never been out of this great country, and he came on his first trip, and man, he was exposed to such poverty. Back then, India was uh, about 50 times poorer, you know, and he was he had a shock in his life. And, uh, but, you know, he recovered from that, and he has gone to India and many other places so many times. But it was during, he was there. And what happened was we had 500 pastors we could accommodate in the main campus, so 650 turned up, so we had to rent a uh, place uh, kind of a half a mile away from the main campus, and the radical people, militant group was watching us, so by Thursday night, a lot of people came to Christ during the evening meetings, all day we have seminars equipping pastors, a hundred strong mob with sticks, chains, and bells. About 11 o'clock at night, barged open the doors where the pastors were staying, pulled them out of bed, began to meet, beat them mercilessly. My mom, always mama bear, wanted to protect us. She said, guys, you stay home. I'm going to go help the pastors because I'm a lady. They'll respect me and not beat me up. So she went there and she all, saw all these pastors being beaten up and began to plead, what wrong have they done? Why are you doing this? And, you know, they just kept quiet. And then one of the guys saw my mom and said, you are the leader. We know you. You are the ones who are bringing all these people, training them so they can go and win more people to Christ. And she was arrested. And she spent the entire night inside the police station, being harassed by the police. You don't want to go into the police station even if you're robbed. It's very corrupt, much more corrupt back then. It was a crisis, a crossroads. We wondered how the church is going to move forward. And guess what? You know, we are still alive and well because we have the final victory. Even though we have insurmountable challenges, 
we have the final victory. So we see that happen, you know, whenever there's a challenge, Scripture has an answer. Acts chapter 4, we see the first church facing their first big opposition, big challenge that they face. And, um, and how, why they faced it, the reason, how they responded, and what was the result. And uh, that's what we're going to look at. Acts chapter 4. And it's a long chapter, so we cannot read all the scriptures. Here's the reason. The reason for the persecution is the exclusivity of the gospel. Everybody say, exclusivity of the gospel. It's a tongue twister. It will help you remember. Acts chapter 4, verses 1, 2, 3, and I'll read verse 12. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, be greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Guess what? What happened to my mom? What happened to us? It's not a new thing. It has happened in the past. It has happened in the history. What you go through, whatever personal challenges you are going through, don't think I'm the only one who goes through. There are many who go through, and God is sovereign in leading his people through. But the challenge here is because of the exclusivity of the gospel. In India, we have drilled over 100 clean water wells, which is a powerful ministry. You know, when they first see the water coming out, as clear in, in their community where they are going to a dirty pond to carry the water. We have uh, given hundreds of farm animals and helped all these children. If we just do that, we will give, be treated like heroes. Even we'll, they'll give us a big medal. But here's the problem. Why are they beating us up? Why is persecution coming upon the church? The reason is because we preach Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. That was the crime of the first century church. That is a crime today. Even today, people will call you here. If they even don't beat you that you're narrow-minded or whatever, you, they will call you and reject you. But here's the challenge, folks. How can we stop preaching Jesus? You know what? I would preach, I would stop preaching Jesus if, if you will tell me there is another Savior who left heaven's glory, came down on the earth, lived a perfect life, did miraculous things, was, went to the cross as the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, was buried and rose again from the third day. If you tell me there is someone else that can save, I will stop preaching Jesus. But there is no other way like Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, no man comes unto the Father but by me. And the apostles had to stand up and say, there is no name given among men under heaven whereby we could be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is only the gospel that saves us. Only the gospel. That saves us. So in world missions, gospel and the great commission remains front and center. We cannot dilute that. Look at the response. They were attacked. They were taken into police custody overnight. Here's what the response is. They corporately prayed bold prayers, trusting in God's sovereignty. They corporately prayed bold prayers, trusting in God's sovereignty. Everyone say bold prayers. Verse 23, 24 says, being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And you can keep reading that prayer. It's a 
powerful prayer. We have to pray bold prayers like that. That's what kept the church going. It's not the cute program we have or you know what you know what kind of instruments we use. It's not all about. It's about prayer. When God's people pray corporately, there is power, and that's exactly what they did. When they were attacked, here was the response. You know, when we face challenges, what do we do? There is no way we can tell life, this should not happen to me. Challenges will come. The only thing we can do, only thing we can do, and only thing we must do is to respond. How do we respond? Do we get shaken up? Do we get, you know, run here and there looking for answers? Or we look up and trust the sovereignty of God. This word they used, Lord, you are God, is only used a couple of times in the New Testament in the original language. You know what that means? God, you are absolute master over everything. There is no power beyond you. You are in control of every life situation. As a child of God, we can trust him no matter what we go through. When the devil throws the kitchen sink at you, you got to remember there is a sovereign God. If you look up and you keep focused, and when you pray bold prayers, saying, God, move in our situation. You can call your family together. You can call the church together, communities together, and say, Lord, stretch forth your mighty hand. That's what the early church was praying. Just like you parted the Red Sea and gave us victory over the mighty Pharaoh's army, Lord, stretch forth your mighty hand. When we pray, God moves. And prayer, we need to quote the promises of God. They went back and quoted Psalm 2 8. Say, Lord, you know, you are in charge. Why do the nations rage? And powerful prayer there. We are not praying to change the mind of God while quoting his promises. Prayer doesn't change God, God is unchangeable. Prayer changes us. It gives us the right perspective. That's the power of prayer. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. And that's written to the church. If you go out and read verse 21, to him be glory, that's Ephesians 3, 20, 21, to be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever and amen. And here's the thing, folks, where churches miss this, is that we are here for one reason and one reason alone. It's not about the pastor, it's not about the church, it's not about the color of the pew and the carpet, it's about the glory of God. And if glory of God is front and center, there's nothing he's able to do exceedingly abundantly. Look at the result. We heard the reason, exclusivity of the gospel, responses, they bold, pray bold prayers, trusting in God's sovereignty. The result is through the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel advances worldwide. Everybody say, power of the Holy Spirit. And this is what the scripture says in uh, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place they were assembled together was shaken. That's why we don't pray bold prayers, because we don't want green pines to be shaken, right? By the way, exit doors, we keep an eye on that. It might shake. They were, the place was shaken. That's not important. Here's what happened. They were all, everybody say all. Not just the apostles. <laughs> we all from a child to the oldest adult, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Prayer, when you pray in difficult circumstances, God gives you the greatest power available to mankind, the supernatural power enabling energy of the Holy Spirit. And like many power, we have not fully tapped into it. And watch this, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, 
They spoke the word of God with boldness. Jesus had told them in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes up. He, before he launches his church, he says, hey, you have all the power you need. Go. When you were born again, the greatest power came to dwell inside of you. When you were born again, you were born again by the Spirit of God who dwells in you. And you can face every challenge through the power of the Spirit. Let me quickly go. I don't have time. I want to uh, finish this off as quick as I can. Give me about five more minutes. Is that okay? Five, seven? Okay. When I say five, it's seven. It's preacher's time, right? But um, very important. Um, I, I want to take you through a short trip through history, okay? Because history is a story, someone said. John MacArthur says, Acts 4, and he writes his commentary, the church was at a crossroads here. All of the future church history hinged, hinged upon the response of this small group of believers. They were powerless in their society. They were not rich people, powerful people, but they had the power of God. All of future church history hinged upon the response. And here's the thing, folks. We think we are not significant. Who are we? No, as a part, as an individual child of God, as a church body, your place in history is important. Thank God that in the midst of tremendous challenge, the first century church did not give up. If they gave up and said, we're going to pack our bags and we're going to just practice our faith in private, what would have happened? We would not have a Green Pines Baptist Church. Can you imagine that? All of future history. All of future history from this day forward, September 26, 21, depends upon your response, believe it or not. How we respond in the midst of tremendous challenges. How I respond in the midst of tremendous challenges in India. I'm like a general. We meet every day. We are looking at strategy. Be wise as serpent, innocent as dove. God is giving us wisdom to survive so far. And that makes me end up on the YouTube. You know, I have to show myself that I'm not a preach, uh, you know, preacher converting. I'll be deported. I cannot go back. So I have a YouTube travel channel, you know. Big wise as serpent, innocent as doves, you know. And stuff, everything we can do. We have a nonprofit that just helps children. So when I go into the country, what are you doing? Hey, you can go check my website. God has given us wisdom. We continue to go. And as I said, 498 baptisms and keep going. The church, all through history, went through challenges. The world has gone through challenges. So in the first century, after they responded right, you know what happens? From 3,000, they grew 5,000. And when the church grows, attacks come. Who was the big, big persecutor in Acts chapter 9? Saul stood up and said, I'm going to destroy Christianity. Guess what? I don't have time to elaborate. The greatest persecutor became the greatest proponent of the gospel, the greatest apostle. You cannot beat God. God always wins. He has the final victory. He takes the gospel all the way to the Rome, all the way to Rome, and Christianity began to spell like wildfire. What happens? Christians go through tremendous persecution. The first three centuries, starting from Nero, the emperor, Domitian, Diocletian, all these emperors persecuted Christians the worst way possible. People were burnt alive on the stake. And here, children were fed to wild beasts and the parents were asked to recant that faith. What would you and I do? They did not give up. They stayed faithful. In the fourth century, God said, enough is enough. He changed the heart of Emperor Constantine and Christian, Christianity became the official religion of Rome. You cannot beat God. God always wins. 
But here's the challenge. Whenever the church stays in prosperity, we tend to get weak. We take things for granted. We lose the zeal. But whenever the church faces adversity, we have seen it grows. Most time it has grown. And all through the dark ages, medieval period, the church had lost the gospel. No one was preaching the church. The Bible was in Latin. People could only hear what the priest read. God said, enough is enough. In the 16th century, he raised someone called Martin Luther, the German a theologian, he said, hey, we need to get back to the word of God. We are saved not by the church rituals and what the church ordains. We are saved by the grace of God. And he brought the reformation, which is, uh, we are all part of that. You cannot beat God. God has the final victory and we have the final victory. But then it was persecution, physical persecution, brute force. But then brain is used against attacking Christianity. So from that time, from Reformation, comes the Enlightenment in the Romantic period. And all those periods, great philosophers stood up. David Hume, Descartes, you know, Voltaire, who said the Bible will be outdated perhaps in my lifetime. And guess what? It's 21st century. And the electronic Bible, I have it on my iPad. You cannot win against God. God wins. In the 19th and the 20th century, into the 21st century, we look at, we are extolling technology. You know, it's... Uh, in the, the whole industrial revolution and the technological revolution. I was in Germany and went to the museum there, the Mercedes Museum, and they've intertwined history along with how Mercedes built their cars. And during the World War, Mercedes was asked to build arms and tanks. The same technology that provides us luxury can destroy us if it is not undergirded by the Word of God. One push of a button, boom, the world can come to an end. I'm not against technology. We need technology and everything else to be undergirded by God's word. Guess what? In 1998, come back with that and close. We were all attacked. We asked the American pastors. We always keep them safe. Uh, Pastor Shannon and others who came were in the, in the hotel and said, you know, we're going to take care of the meeting. Um, um, I was reluctantly asked to preach. We had 120 policemen surrounding the ground with cameras and everything. It was the first time I ever preached in front of a camera. It was a police camera. And I'm not naturally bold. And I stood up there, Acts 4.31 happened. I've never preached with more clarity and power. When you're persecuted, God pours his glory out. We had a three and a half hour service. Everyone, the pastors, the U.S. pastors also came. Sunday morning, most Baptists would not have survived because we didn't have a bathroom break for three and a half hours. I remember the pastors... We didn't have a place of our own. It was a rented place, dirt, ground. They went on their knees, all of them. Many of these pastors with broken bones had come on the crutches, their wives with them. said, we thank God for counting us worthy to suffer for Christ. We are indeed willing to lay down a life for Jesus. And, you know, it was like all heaven broke loose there. I've never been in a service like that. They went on their knees. They did not ask God to take away persecution, but here's what they were asking in a song. We ask for India. We call her by name. We present her to the Father in Jesus' name. We ask not for riches. We ask not for gain. We ask for India in Jesus' name. We need to ask for the world and America. We ask for America. We call her by name. We present her to the Father in Jesus' name. We ask not for riches. We ask not for gain. We ask for America in Jesus' name. Tears rolling down the cheeks that fell on the ground. God heard the cries of the persecuted church. And instead of the church shutting down, our ministry grew 
in great numbers. Over a million people have heard the gospel. Will Graham, that I met in seminary, came, we did big crusade, large pastors' conferences in India and Nepal. When the doors were open, I said, let's go and get, get it done. And thousands have come to Christ over the years. More than 2,000 house churches planted. You cannot win against God. God finally wins. And when we look at our wall today, yes, the response can be everything is dark and hopeless and I'm concerned. You know, you see a glow on my face because I have a granddaughter, most beautiful child ever born. And uh, man, I had a spice to my life, but I'm worried about the child that's going to be born. My daughter is worried about sending her to school and what she's going to learn. Yes, all those challenges are there, but we cannot live in fear. Here's what, how we look at the world, folks. Yes, Afghanistan has fallen to Taliban, and they have a neighbor in Pakistan who has a nuclear weapon, and anything can happen, but the end of the world does not happen when the terrorists think it is done. You know how the world, end of the world is going to happen? God closes the curtain of history, not man. The eastern guy is going to split. All of history is moving into one direction. You know where it is moving to? To the coronation of the king of kings and the lord of lords. And therefore the hymnist says, crown him king of kings. Crown him lord of lords. Wonderful counselor, almighty God. Emmanuel, God is with us. And we can together say, and he shall reign. God rules, folks. Everybody say, he shall reign. He shall reign. And I'm going to rule and reign with him by the grace of God. And I don't want to just go there alone. But I want to take people from Ecuador, people from India, every place that is difficult and dark. We want to take as many as we can into the kingdom. The end of the world is in the hands of God. And your life is in the hands of God. Let's trust in God's sovereignty and church. Move forward to do great things for his glory. In Jesus' name, Pastor Jared.